0: Alrighty, well, um, if you are new to church today, uh, you are here on a weird Sunday because of the technical issues that we're having. But if you happen to be new, my name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope. And we're so uh, joyful that you've come and joined us today for worship. Um, if you uh, have go ahead and downloaded the COH app on your phone, we encourage you to do that. If you're new with us, go ahead and fill out a connect form that's right there uh, on the home screen of the app. Scroll down, so fill out my connect card, help us get your information so we can help you get connected here to our church. So we are uh, right in the middle of a series that we're excited about. We're calling it Mistaken Identity. I think this is week 4 for us, so we've been in the series for about a month, and we're really pumped about it. Everyone say this with me, mistaken Mistaken Identity. Mistaken Identity. And what this series is about is we're talking about who is God really? What is God really like, I wondered if you would go to Rosemary Square, or formerly known as City Place, and you would just ask people as they're walking around shopping and going to you know, eat different meals and whatever else, if you ask them what is God like, I bet you would get a whole variety of different answers. The great theologian A.W. A. W. Tozer once said that what comes into your mind when you think about God is actually the most important part of who you are. And yet, so many of us don't give attention to that very idea. Many of us don't actually consider and deeply sift through what picture pops into our mind when we think of God. I had coffee with a friend this past week, and I was at Starbucks. Sorry for all my Dunkin' Donuts lovers, which is where they just call it Dunkin' now, which, whatever, don't disrespect donuts. Um, and I was having Starbucks coffee with a friend of mine. Actually... Is Matt? Is Matt playing guitar today? Is Matt you here? Yeah, oh yeah, we're, yeah. I was having coffee with Matt this week, and uh, I was having coffee with Matt, and he was talking about this series. and He said, "There he is. Hi, Matt, one of the lead guitarists of our church." Can you say, everyone say, "Hi, Matt"? Yeah. Hi, Matt. And we we're having a cup of coffee. Don't worry, brother. I'm not calling you out or something. Um, we we're having a cup of coffee, and he was like, "I'm really enjoying this series because there's so many of us." Uh, where we pick up different theology. Now, theology is a highfalutin word for what we think about God and what we believe about God and the study of God. Now, everybody has theology, even if you consider yourself an agnostic or an atheist. You have one. Everyone has thoughts about God, however formed they are or not, whatever. And Matt was talking about throughout life, we pick up different head theology where people tell us things, especially maybe if you've grown up in the church about who is God and what God is like. But then we have head theology, but then we have gut theology. Like the parts of us that somehow, not intellectually, we've picked up what we think about God, but experientially what we pick up about it. Like some things are taught and some things are caught, right? And all of us know that some of the things that we catch in life are not all good. And this is totally true with God. This is totally true with Him. And so what we're doing is we're exploring some mistaken identities that people have about God that are rife in and out of the church, in and throughout all of our culture, to help expose them to talk about who is God really. And so for our series here, we're focusing on one key anchor passage. It comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's in your COH app notes. I imagine a lot of today, you're just going to listen to me. So if you want to pull out your Bible, now's a good time to actually look. This, see, this is a, a book, and it opens like this, and it has pages, and you read from left to right, top to bottom. So uh, anyway, this is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and it says this here. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And what this is saying here is that if you want to know what God is really like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God, and when you see Jesus, you see God, and so what we've been doing the past couple weeks is lovingly dismantling these false ideas that people have about who God is, and instead comparing them to Jesus, who is the exact representation of God, and the exact representation of his being. We started a couple weeks ago, bodyguard God, and we talked about the false mistaken identity that God exists to prevent all harm and pain from ever happening in your life, but all of us have experienced pain and suffering. and If you have that mistaken identity of God, you might begin to believe that God doesn't love you or that God isn't powerful or that God doesn't even exist. But we know that's not true and Jesus is better than that because he's the God of redemption who redeems even your pain, amen? Amen. We talked last week about genie in a bottle God. And this is the God where people treat God like he's transactional and we can control him and it's convenient. We're, we're Aladdin. He's genie. He's the one with huge cosmic power. And we're the ones who rub the lamp and he does whatever we want. But we talked about Jesus is better than a genie in a bottle version of God. Because that, ver, that version of God I can control. And if I can control him and he does what I wish, who's God? The one who lives in the lamp or the one who rubs the lamp? It makes me God. And nobody wants me to be God and you don't want to be your own God either. (laughs) Jesus is better than him because scripture says this. He can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. I want to worship a God I can't control. Amen? Amen. So here's what we're going to be talking about today. We have our new mistaken identity today. I'm going to say it here. It's not on the screen. So just listen here with your ears. It is called feel good God. Everyone say that. Feel good God. This is the God of the warm fuzzies. This is the God of the Holy Spirit goosebumps. This is the God of the mountaintop experiences. This is feel-good God. Now, what we've been talking about each and every single week is we're telling you that we have a couple of key elements we're going to talk about every single week in the series. And we always have, okay, what's the mistaken identity? We have what's a problematic idea, the disclaimer that we want to give about that problematic idea, and then a truth and a challenge. And so the problematic idea around feel good God is this. Some people believe that God is there to make me feel good or you feel good all the time. God is there to make you feel good all the time. This is feel good God, to have spiritual experiences. Now, this is a wonderful thing to have spiritual experiences. We're not necessarily talking about that, but there is an interesting correlation here with feel good God and how we do relationships. So let's say maybe you're not a spiritual person. or If you want to take this out of the spiritual realm, this is what people do developmentally in their relationships. Many uh, social psychologists say how people relate to each other um, often involves different stages of a relationship, And the first stage of a relationship, and it doesn't just have to be romantic, it can also be a non-romantic type of you know, friendship as well, it's just human relationships in general, and the first stage of any relationship is infatuation, and infatuation is passionate emotion connected to a person, but it is short-lived. Now, infatuation is not a bad thing. I remember when Lee and I first started dating, we were both infatuated with each other. I might have been a little bit more infatuated with her, but that's okay. And uh, it's just amazing when a relationship starts, and boom, all you want to do is be with each other all the time, and their hearts circling around each other's heads all the time. And Lee and I were lucky enough to fall in love and to deepen our relationship, and then I proposed to her, and then we got married, and Man, it's just awesome. And our honeymoon was great. And our honeymoon period after being married, it's just all great stuff. In fact, I heard a funny joke about honeymoons this week. You want to hear it? Okay. I hear hear it. Once you go on your honeymoon and your first couple months of being married, you have a lot of what's called honeymoon salad. Honeymoon salad. Have you ever heard the ingredients for honeymoon salad? Listen carefully. It's these three things. Let us alone... No dressing and a roll with honey on it. Ah, it was Dale's joke, whatever, boo, okay. Yeah, but so the interesting thing about social psychologists say about um, infatuation is that that period of time in relationships can last anywhere from 18 months to three years, and what they also say is that if infatuation, if a relationship doesn't grow beyond infatuation, that if it stays only infatuation, it's going to hinder that relationship. because the next stage after infatuation is where something deeper happens called attachment. And if people don't learn to go beyond the first passionate, um, uh, passionate feelings and emotions, Of infatuation, they will never grow to something deeper and their relationship will actually be in danger. Isn't that interesting? It's the same thing with God. Many people stay in a stage with God that's immature and filled with infatuation and they're just looking for the next high, the next hit, the next feel-good emotion, the next warm fuzzies, the next goosebumps with God and they never go beyond infatuation into attachment they only stay here and they only stay surface level which explains why many people can go to church maybe if you were lucky like once a week if they go once a month maybe they go once or twice a year and they never wonder why their faith isn't growing it's because you're staying in only infatuation and not going to a lifelong series of experiences and obedience with jesus And so what we're talking about today is going beyond just infatuation with God. Now, here's what we want to say with the disclaimer, though. This is really important to me. This is part I'm really jazzed to talk about today. So our problematic idea is that God exists to make me feel good always. Now, these are all half-truths, right? I don't want you to lose the half of that that's true. The disclaimer we want to say is I'm not saying, I am not saying... The people don't experience the presence of God. I'm here today as a preacher in this church because I was hungry to experience the presence of God for myself. In fact, our entire movement that we're part of in the Christian family tree, our branch, was started by a guy named John Wesley. And on the day he got saved, on May 24th, 1738, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he had this phrase. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Have you ever felt that? It's a wonderful feeling. One of my favorite people in the whole world is a guy named Pete Gregg. And Pete Gregg is an international prayer leader of a thing called 24-7 Prayer that swept all over Europe and has swept America and it's all over the world, this prayer movement and we take a lot of cues from him in our church. Pete Gregg one time walked into one of their prayer rooms that's open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week and he walked in to show one of his friends who was an atheist and his atheist friend walks in the room and looks around all the creativity and the thick space where people have been praying in here for weeks on end day and night, night and day and this atheist looks at Pete and goes wow, you can really feel God in here And Pete looks at him and goes, yeah, but you don't even believe in God. And his friend said, you're right, I don't. But you can really feel him in here. This is what people do. This is why people, when they come to Community of Hope, especially if they're new to church, and they experience what our worship team does, and they sit there going, I don't cry, but I cry every time I sing these songs. I don't know what's going on with me. Something's wrong with me. What do you put in my coffee? There's nothing in the coffee. You're experiencing God in worship by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why I wanted to become a follower of Jesus. If you've come to Community of Hope, you've heard me talk about this before. My family started going to church when I was a kid, maybe in elementary school, and we'd always done church, but I hated it. Hated it with a capital H. Hated going to church. And now look at me, right? Um, But we started going to this church and it started to transform my family's lives. My dad went to a thing called Promise Keepers in 1995. Any old school Promise Keepers in here? Hoorah, there we go. And my dad went to Promise Keepers in 1995 and dad came home that night different. My dad is a good man, always has been a good man. So it wasn't like dad was drinking and now he loved our family. It wasn't like that. He's always been a great guy. But dad came home different that night. And there was something on him i was in fifth grade and i was literally following him around the house like what is on you i can't see it i can't smell it i can't touch it but i can feel it and whatever it is i want it and i got hungry spiritually A couple months later, my brother goes on a missions trip to Poplar Bluff, Missouri in the middle of summer. It's like hell and Poplar Bluff are the hottest places on earth in the middle of the summer. And uh, my brother came home from the youth trip and he got off the bus and he was in 7th or 8th grade and I kid you not, he had braids. I mean, he had kind of like the cool 1996 haircut where his hair was parted in the middle and it was all the way down to here and while the girls on the bus had braided all of his hair, my dad said, I sent my son away and Buckwheat came back because, you know, Y'all look like it. And, um, and we sat in the back of my parents' Honda Accord. And my brother, and guess what? When I got to sit next to my brother, it was on him. Like, there it is again. What is it? Do I have to go braid my hair? Is that what I have to do to go find it? I want it. And my brother turned to me in the backseat of my, my parents' Honda Accord. And he said, Trevor... This is a seventh grader talking to a fifth grader, y'all. He looked at me and said, Trevor, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. And he told me the Holy Spirit is the greatest thing ever. It's the greatest feeling ever. And he was doing the best he could as a seventh grader to describe this to me. This is how the deep theology of experiencing the power of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, my brother described to me. Trevor, Trevor, the Holy Spirit's better than, he's better than, he's better than kissing Cindy Crawford. And, you know, it's mid-90s, right? It's mid-90s, and I sat in the back seat. Of my parents' car and went, whoa. Now, like, all teenage silliness aside, there was nothing, like, perverse about that or whatever. He used to do the best he could. I, I didn't take it, About God bless Cindy Crawford. You know, if she ever hears this, like she's ever going through, if she ever did, we're not talking about you, Cindy. Whatever. But I totally throughout the part about Cindy, it only made me hungrier for God. It only made me hungrier for God. And it wasn't in it. It is him. And him is the spirit of Jesus manifest in God's Holy Spirit. And all somebody had to do, I was waiting for somebody to tell me how to become a follower of Jesus. I was waiting for people like, will somebody tell me how to raise my hand and say yes to Jesus so I can experience that. And the first chance anybody gave me to do, I said, I'm in, 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 I'm in. I want it. And I got it. And I got him. And it's only gotten better for 25 years. I am not here to tell you today that people don't experience the presence of God. And I am not here today to tell you to set your expectations lower and that God doesn't do this today. I want every single one of you to experience Jesus and to experience more of him so that he would blow your mind with his presence and his love. I live to see people experience Jesus. Not just intellectually, even though that's important. Some people can't follow Jesus or experience Jesus until you get your honest intellectual questions out of the way. And guess what? We're a church that doesn't believe that you have to turn your brain off to follow Jesus. I want people to subjectively experience what is objectively true in the universe. That there is a God who's real. And the exact representation of his being is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Now I got my preach on. There are other people who talk about this in Scripture. King David one time said this. In Psalm 27, let me get my notes out here. It's a good day preaching when I'm not even on my notes. There it is, right. Psalm 27 verse 4. King David said this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. He's only wanting one thing in life. If you had one request from God, what would it be? Here's David's. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek Him in His temple. David was totally addicted to experiencing the presence of God. And David didn't always feel God. I'm going to read our key passage for today. It comes from Psalm 13. So, the same David who said, There's only one thing I want, God, and it's more of you. This is the same David who wrote this Psalm 13. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he's been good to me. This is a psalm. It's called a, psalm, a lament, where all of the Bible, here's how you know one of the reasons why the Bible is true the whole thing's not happy clappy, right? If you were inventing a religion, wouldn't you make it all sun drops and gumdrops and yippy happy clappy stuff, right? Wouldn't you do that? This is part of the reason how you know the Bible's real, because there's real people in it who on one hand go, there's only one thing I want, and it's more of you, God, and experiencing you because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And yet right over here, he goes, God, where are you? Why have you hidden your face from me? Have you ever felt like God went missing on you? If you have, you're in good company today and there's nothing wrong with you. Because if somebody like King David, the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, didn't always feel God, then you don't have to either. See, this is the part of the problem with feel good God. Feel good God is if I don't feel him, he's not there. And if you don't feel him, either you will beat yourself up perpetually and go, I must be doing something wrong, and I made him mad, and he left, and maybe i got to start doing stuff to get him to come back. I might be forgiven by grace, but I'm going to be close with God by works. And that is not God. And that is not God. And if you don't feel God, then you might go, well, maybe he's mad at me, but if I don't feel him, maybe he's not even there. And if I don't feel him, maybe he doesn't even exist. I'm here to tell you today, that's not true. And Jesus is better than feel-good God. Because here's the truth. Again, we have, remember, problematic idea, disclaimer, and then the truth. Here's what we know about Jesus. If feel-good God is, God is there to make me feel good always. The truth is, Jesus is God With us always. We talk about this passage of scripture all the time around Christmas time. This is Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The last verse, the last sentence of the New Testament in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said this to his disciples or yeah, not the last sentence of the New Testament, last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew, I should say, excuse me. Jesus said this to his disciples, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's echoing the same words are in Deuteronomy 31, where God, where Yahweh tells Moses, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus that I want you to know with all of my heart today is that yes, you can experience him. Yes, I want you to have your heart filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, I want you to know what I've come to know. And he's still with you even if you don't feel him. He's bigger than your feelings. He's bigger than your depression. He's bigger than your bad day. He's bigger than your dry season. He's with you whether your feelings, recognize it or not. And this is a beautiful thing. For some of you today, I want to free you. For some of you today, I want to deepen you. For some of you, I want to help you take it next step. Consider these things. With some final thoughts here about feel good God and how Jesus has promised to be with you always. Friends, I want you to remember that emotions are fickle. Have you ever heard the phrase, emotions are wonderful servants but terrible masters? It's the same with your spiritual life. Don't let how close you feel to God or not dictate what's true or not. And Jesus is just as present to your faith as he is to your feelings. For some of you, the deepest thing you could do in your walk with Jesus this year is even on the days when you don't feel close to him, to be able to say, Jesus has promised he's with me. God is with me. He is my helper. I'm not going to be discouraged or despairing about anything. Because he's promised he won't leave you. This isn't even in my manuscript or my notes. Somebody, I'm just getting a sense here in my heart. There's somebody here today, you haven't felt Jesus in a while, and you just need to know he hasn't left you. He has not left you. He promised he never would. Don't let your feelings lie to you. He's with you. Some of you need to know that experience is like tides it ebbs and it flows. It ebbs and it flows, and the tide comes in and the tide goes out. I remember driving around with my my dad, and he would always just mentor me all throughout my life about life, about work, about relationships, about marriage. I remember being in middle school, and we were driving in our um, 1994 Ford Aerostar minivan right? You know what I mean? And i would be sitting in the front seat of the Ford with my dad. And my dad, I remember one time we are driving around and started talking to me about marriage. He says, Trev, you got to know about marriage. There's times when I look at your mom and there are hearts circling around her head and I'm in love with her. And then there are other days that are just really good and it just feels kind of normal. And it ebbs and it flows. And son, you just need to know that's normal and that's good and in the future, don't you ever freak out if that happens to you. Relationships are built on steadiness and experience ebbs and flows in marriage and relationships and with God. Don't panic. So for the person here who has felt far from God for a while, don't panic. He hasn't left you. This is normal and it's okay. I also want you to know that experience is also tied to engagement. There are plenty of times when I'm talking with people as a pastor and I have cups of coffee or have lunches or breakfast with people and they start telling me about their spiritual life and tell you, how are you and God? And you say, ah, man, it's pretty dull. I feel pretty far from God. And I'm, well, how, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you going to church? Are you trusting God with your finances? Are you serving? Are you telling people about Him? Are you going to a group? And they all kind of, no, not really to all those. I am watching not a lot of Netflix, though. <laughs> and I'm scratching my head going like, so you feel far from God and you don't know why, but you're not doing any of the things that help draw you closer to God? Like, yeah. Here's the deal with that. So, yeah, that's really relatable, right? For some of us, it's not that If I do those things, it magically makes Jesus come to me. It's that he's right next to you. You're just kind of turned away from him, distracted by other stuff. He never left you. What some of you need to do is to turn around and speak face to face with him. And that experience will light again. Your emotions will catch up with reality. But you got to turn toward him. The prophet Jeremiah once said this, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. Some of you just got to seek God a little bit more and he's right there. You just got to turn and face him. Here's the last thing. We're going to take communion. Some of you need to know that sometimes Jesus will withdraw experience. Sometimes he will decrease experience and he'll have the tide come out because he wants you to teach you to trust him a little bit more. Sometimes. Um, Earlier in COVID this year, about May last year, about a year ago right now, God went missing for me. I couldn't find him. I couldn't feel him. Let me tell you, a few things are scary. If you're a pastor and you can't feel God, can I just be honest with y'all? Like, it's my job to feel close to God, and I didn't, and I was doing everything right. I wasn't living in sin. Um, I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was doing everything right, and I couldn't find him, and so I didn't quit on the stuff. I, I'm following Jesus long enough to know if I just stick with the stuff, something will happen, and nothing was happening, and God went absent, and I couldn't find him. And the only way I could find him was by learning to put everything else aside, to turn off my worship music, to turn off this app, to quit reading this devotional, even to put my journal aside and to just sit in silence and just say the name Jesus. And I would wait there for about three to five minutes, and then I would feel him draw near. And I'm not trying to tell you you should do what I did. I'm trying to tell you he was trying to teach me something. There's a scripture in the Bible, in Psalm 32, that says this. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. It's this awesome word picture. Of, Don't be like a horse. you got us to pull on the reins and have a blow-your-face-off experience to get you to do something with him. He wants you to be easily led and be very sensitive and gentle to his touch. Sometimes God pulls back on the experience of his presence because he wants you to become more sensitive to his voice and his touch. Some of you wonder, like, when I first became a Christian, it was like God was so loud, but now God's so quiet. It's not because he's further away. It's because he's right here and he's whispering to you and he's teaching you to be more sensitive to his voice so he can easily lead you more. So if you're feeling far from God and you're doing everything right, here's the question you should ask him. Jesus, what do you want to do in me? And what are you trying to teach me now? And the experience will come back. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, go in God's peace. Remember, Jesus is with you always, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.